out here today is preaching and uh, for Brother Hector's church. If he had been here, he would have went, woo! So I just wanted to hey, girls, come back here. Come back here. I want you to sing again, but I'm joining you. I've sat here for a long time. I always say, oh, yeah, I'm going to sing with those girls one time, so we're going to sing. And you girls sing it through, and I'll join you on the chorus, okay? Thank you. tell you the times I stood and heard them sing say I want to I want to sing with them and so we just did it today that's all <laughs> the way it goes and we're gonna we're gonna go on the road here in a few years and I'll preach at banquets like old preachers do and that kind of thing and I have the girls sing with me they won't ask me for preaching they'll ask me to bring my group with me so that'll be good of course my wife will come and and uh, she'll be our, our what do you call that Organizer, yeah, yeah, okay, that'd be good. All right, Second Kings chapter six. I always love it when the ladies sing; they're so good and talented. God uses them. And Sherry, she went to this ladies' meeting, but she was a preacher yesterday. She preached to the ladies, and I said, "Did you preach good?" And she said, "Well, I don't know. I think I did." I said, "Did you get up standing?" She said, "No, I didn't get that." I said, "They give you a big love offering." She said, "No, I didn't get that." So, but uh, so now Sherry's going out doing evangelism out of Parkview Baptist Church, but we're, we're proud of her, and I know she did a good job for the ladies meeting there. All right, 2 Kings chapter 6, and uh, we have a lot of people in our church have been and are going through some very, very difficult times uh, with illness and, of course, loss of loved ones, just struggles, family issues, just a lot here lately. A lot of our senior saints are struggling with some serious health things, and we all know about that and been praying for them. But, but uh, I have this thought today that I want to share with all of us. In 2 Kings chapter 6, and I want you to look, if you would, at chapter 6, verse 8, and we'll go down to verse 
16. Just those eight verses. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8. The Bible said, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. That's an interesting phrase. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that speaketh uh, that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. We'll stop there. Father, help us today as we get into your word. I pray this message would be very timely, Lord, for those going through troubles. I believe it is, for Lord, you put it on my heart. And I don't know every single facet of the trouble that people feel they're in that are assembled here today. But I pray, dear God, that you'd speak to us and settle us. And as we've already said today, help us to realize that you are sovereign God. You are in control and Lord, help us to see that today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the services are going on around about the church. The deaf are meeting around God's word. The children in the back being ministered to and preached to on their level. And we're in here today. And I'm praying that God will really bless our services today. On the way here, I was praying and talking to the Lord about, Lord, let us see somebody saved today. And it don't matter what department, let us see souls saved today. And, and of course, praying for people to be encouraged. But I want to preach today on... Our help in time of trouble. Our help in time of trouble. If you're not in trouble, you maybe just came out of it. For sure, we're all going to go through trouble as we pass this journey. Now, uh, we as Christians, many times in our lives, we're going to have difficult spots. We're going to have very difficult days. Even may feel like we're in dismay. But uh, I want us to remember today that God is God, as taught in Sunday school. But... During these times of difficulty, some may even doubt God. And some, even though they're saved because of the trial that they're under, they may even doubt their faith. They may even say things like, well, I thought God would love me. I thought God would help me. And we have to remember again, death is certain except for the rapture. And we're going to have trials because we have an enemy. And we're going to have difficulty because we live in the flesh. Amen? We're going to have struggles because we live in a world that doesn't love God. 
And so it's important for us to understand this, that we have help, but our help is in God in time of trouble. That may seem obvious. You say, but listen, depending on the length of trial and the severity of the trial, we may come to doubt certain things about our faith and about our God. And so as we go through these troubles, we must lean harder upon God and trust him. Amen? Uh, I, I said this in RU. I preached RU Sunday night, and I mentioned this just on my mind. But, uh, you know, this week, so many people going through so many things. I've been to hospitals and meeting with people, and we've got several people having rehab, several people facing cancer. I mean, it, it's just a difficult time for many of our senior saints of our church. And so I sent out a lot of cards this week, and I wrote uh, something to each and every one of them. And I usually sign my name, obviously, at the bottom of the card, but I always leave a verse and I sent this verse out this week, and it is Psalm 27. If you want to go there, that's fine, but if you can't get there quick, uh, Psalm 27 and verse 1. And this is what I included next to my name. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, that's a truth that we got to grab hold of when we go through difficult times. But that's not the only verse. I could go on and on, but Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8, he said, Then the Lord, he it is that doth go out before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither, uh, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. Of course, we know Psalm 23 and verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, won't, I will fear no evil, for thou art, what, with me. Of course, I rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But then in, in Psalm 46 and verse 1, the psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all, what, comfort. And so God knows what we go through, Amen. And so he's going to use here the man of God. It's interesting in this text, you'll find it several times, and through the book you'll find it, that he is called the man of God. That little phrase is important here. Now, the way that Elisha lived his life, conducted himself, and it inspired other people when they were going through difficult times. I want to say something. You are godly people, and we ought to act that way even during difficult times. And if anybody, listen, anybody ought to stand for God during difficult times, it ought to be the man of God and the women of God. Amen. But we ought to live our lives in such a way that not only the saints are encouraged, but the unsaved, and listen, they do watch your life. They'll watch your life, and they'll, they'll see how you get through these things. But what a tragedy is when Christians fall apart. And we're going to have that tendency. We have a flesh, amen? But what we have to ask, God, give me grace. Give me strength. Give me the backbone. Give me the gumption, Lord, to deal with this particular trial so I, I'm a good testimony for you. So people see Jesus in my life. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine, what, before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Paul told Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth. But listen, be thou an example of the believers. In what? In word, in conversation. That word conversation doesn't mean more words. It means manner of living, how you live your life. 
Be the example in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Hey, that's important today too, Christian. In purity. Live a pure life for Jesus Christ. Don't, don't be messing around with this world and ruin your testimony. That doesn't glorify God. And I've had people say, yeah, but I've had all this pressure and stress, and that's why I did what I baloney. When we go through pressure and stress, we need to come to God and in his word and prayer, not just go off and do what we want to do because the flesh is crying for it. No, no. Paul told Tim in Titus in chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, he says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Listen, in doctrine, in showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, which cannot be condemned. You know, we got an enemy that wants to condemn us. Remember, he came before God about Job, and he said, oh, he wouldn't serve you because the only reason he's doing that because you're so good to him. God said, well, you can have him, but don't you touch him. You can't kill him. And he got permission, did he not, Satan, to attack? Listen, anything that happens in our lives, it may seem like uh, I'm insensitive, but anything that happens in our lives, God knows about it. And he allows it. Amen. Even the hard things that Pastor Williams taught about in Sunday school. So he's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And ours is to trust him. And there'll be a tendency in all of us, all of us, even me, to doubt God in the difficult times. But we must look to him as sovereign God. Amen. Now, also, I could go to 2 Timothy 2.15, but I was looking at these verses and it dawned on me that all three of these verses I wanted to give you this morning about this issue... They're from the pastoral epistles. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, look, if anyone ought to be a man of God during trial, ought to be a man of God. Talking to preachers, talking to deacons, talking to leaders in the church. Amen. Take these verses and apply them to your life. Amen. So Elisha, the man of God, was a good man of God. He lived what he preached. He had authority. In his life, he exhibited, exhibited a holy life. His words were weighed. And here's what happened. All those around him observed his life, and they knew that he was a man of God, and they knew he knew his God. When we do less, they wonder, do we even know God? Oh, let not the world, let not the church think, do they really know God? Look how they're acting during a troublesome time. Now, I want to say, we've got to watch out for the devil, because we've heard this a lot lately. I'm preaching on Wednesday night in the book of Joshua, and we, we talked about Satan's attack. He is a roaring, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Hey, folks, the devil doesn't want us to live for God. First of all, he doesn't want us to live. He could, if he could, he'd kill us. But he, he doesn't want us to live exemplary lives, fruitful lives, powerful lives, holy lives. He doesn't want this of us. He wants to destroy us and destroy our testimony. He doesn't want us to be Christians that glorify God. Now, I want you to notice here about the man of God in the next few verses. We'll go back to him. Look at verses 9 through 12 in our text. 2 Kings chapter 6, look at verse 9. And it says this, And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither... The Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned of, and saved uh, himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria, the enemy, was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants 
and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, he's the problem, Elisha. The prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. I think that's, that, these thoughts are so, they're so good and they're so interesting to me. What was going on is Elijah was uprooting and exposing the plan of the Syrian army, the plan of the enemy. He was giving counsel and warning for the good of God's people. And his counsel nullified all the plans of the enemy. Now, when the king realized this, he suspects that there is a traitor among them, a mole, a spy in the ranks. And we read that in verse 11. And the king says, he says, okay, fess up, who's the stool pigeon? Or, I got other words, the betrayer, the canary, the rat fink, the snitch, the double crosser, the plant, the squealer the stoolie, the tattler, the turncoat, the whistleblower, shifty shift. Who is he? That's what he said. By the way, let me add, I heard my president the other day stand in the National Mall at the Right to Life March, and I was proud of him. And I know that that speech was written for him. But he's the only president that ever had the guts to go there and say what he said. And I'm proud of him. And if there was no other reason to vote for him, it would be because he stands for life. Not that other crowd. They stand for murder. I just thought I'd throw in that. I, listen, I told my wife, almost there right now, when I watched that, I wept. I was moved. Not because of Donald Trump the person, because Donald Trump the president that said what needed to be said about life that it comes from God. Amen. I was so proud. So, well, he didn't mean it. How do you know he didn't mean it? But thank God he said it. Then I'm moving on. But anyway, watch out for those shifty shifts. But anyway. <laughs> so the king is checking for leaks among his staff. And one of the servants says, boss, it's not us. It's that pesty preacher, Elisha. And he adds, he said, he is getting information, even from perhaps your bedchamber. He's probably bugged your room. Shh. He may be living, listening in on our conversation. It's kind of like people feel about me sometimes, or a pastor. Oh, we know our pastor's looking in our windows at night. He's listening. He's got bugs. He's checking us out all the time. Look, folks, I got more things to do than that. But I will tell you this. God gives his man, and I'm not Elisha. I'm not saying I'm Elisha, but God gives his man discernment feelings, if you want to call it that, and nudges. Why? To help God's people. He says to me sometimes, preach on this, say that. Amen. You say, where does he get this stuff? Sometimes the Lord whispers in my spirit, this needs to be preached and it needs to be preached right now. And somebody says, oh, I don't like that. That's too bold. That's, hey, that's the job of the preacher. I'm the under shepherd. I'm supposed to take care of the lambs. Amen. And the sheep. Nobody's amen to me, but that's the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, the scripture tells us this. It says, uh, to, an, uh, to another, he's talking about the gifts, the working of miracles, to another prophecy. And he said, the discerning of spirits. And I believe for the office of a pastor, God gives discernment for the good of the body of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, the Bible says, 
obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. God gives discernment to the preacher, the man of God, to watch for your soul. Way back in the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 3 and verse 15, we read these words. It says, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. These words, knowledge and understanding, had to be with discernment. Folks, the lost have no discernment spiritually. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. He don't know them. We do, because the Spirit of God's in us, and he gives us his book. But God gives an extra measure of discernment to the man of God for our benefit. Amen. And so the king's advisors were certain that it's Elijah's fault. He's got plants in the the bedchamber of the king. But one thing I see here for sure is God gives discernment to God's man. Not ESP. Uh, We don't have extrasensory perception. And I'll tell you what, it's a discernment from God. That's all that wizardry stuff. And it's definitely not ESPN, because I don't think he had that package personally. But anyway, here in our text... God uses the man of God to expose the plans and the ploy of the enemy. And, you know, God does that. God gives perception. He gives the man of God a feeling, a sense sometimes. And that's why if I come and say, hey, how are you doing? I mean, how are you doing? And you say, yeah, but you're trying to get information. I, you know, I can be guilty. Sometimes I'll say to the children, are your parents still fighting? <laughs> no, well, good. No, I don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, pastors ought to be interested in their flock. Right. And God gives the sermons. And I'll be out there. Sometimes God gets me up in the middle of the night, and he'll put somebody on my heart or some thought. And I say, oh. Now, I didn't come up with that. I think God gave me that, so I'd be interested. So I try to help. And then sometimes God tells me, this is what I want you to preach. So I preach it, not so I can be mean or busybody, but because God wants it preached. And whether you listen or not, that's up to you. You remember how God did this. I'll give you two illustrations. Remember the old prophet. His name was Abijah. And uh, there was the king, Jeroboam's wife. Remember that story where she, she puts, he tells his wife, now look, you'll see if our baby's going to die or not. Remember the story? And he said, you go out, but he said, wear a costume, pretty much. And go out, let nobody know it's you, and go ask the man of God what's going to happen. And she knocks on the door of the old prophet Abijah's door. And he says to her, hadn't opened the door, he says, Come in now, wife of Jeroboam. Why feignest thyself to be another? Why are you faking to be a peasant woman when you're the, you're the, you're the uh, royalty? Now here's the secret about that. The Bible said that that old man was blind by reason of age. So the Bible says she's standing there and she's probably thinking, how do you know it was me? Why did he say that to me? And they know that he's blind. Even if she was standing in front of her, he wouldn't have known it. But God told him. God told him. You remember Saul, Paul? You remember when he first got saved, he was a brand new Christian and God's beginning to train him and get him ready to serve him. And there was a plot against his life. And the scripture tells us that the Sanhedrin wanted to rub him out like the mob. And God warned him. And we see in the scriptures that God notified him of this plot against his life. And that's where those four unnamed men, they put him down the wall in a basket. 
There's an old message our preacher preached on, who's holding the ropes? We need to help people go on with their Christian life. But I'm telling you, that shows me that God gives the man of God discernment sometimes when he wouldn't have it any other way. So here's Elijah. God's using him. He's given information to the Israelites to protect them. Amen? I, I want you to just think about this. God does give discernment to men of God because God knows what we're up to. And you might be, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe you're sneaking around, you're doing something you're not supposed to do, but we think behind closed doors. God knows. God knows what you're watching. He knows what channel you're on. He knows what internet things you're messing with. Amen. And sometimes the preacher preaches on that thing, and somebody goes, who told him? Nobody told him. God told me to say something, so I said it. If, it, if the shoe fits, baby, wear it. Amen. I want you to understand that this is the man of God in this text. And God has whispered into his ear, into his soul, into his heart. And he's combating the enemy. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all them that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And what happens? They said, it's that preacher. And so what do they do? They want to get to the preacher. If you live a godly life, if you listen, young people, you live a pure life, you're going to have criticism. You're going to have your friends maybe not want to spend time with you. Live for God. Somebody may talk about you because you're trying to live holy or righteous. Live for God. Don't be super-duper spiritual thinking that you're better than people. That attitude doesn't fly with God. and doesn't help anybody else. But if you're naturally trying to serve God, people are going to talk about you. Serve God. Live godly. Live right. Amen. And you'll be able to help others along the way. Now, that's all, that's all front porch. Oh, see, preacher, it's 1125. Hey, we'll get out. We'll get out. We'll eventually get out. But now I want to just get to some points here about this story that I think are important. Take a look at 2 Kings chapter 6 and go back to verse 13. Let's read that verse. Verse 13. And read the Bible because it's important not to hear me, but hear the word of God. And he said, go and spy where he is. That's the enemy, the king. Say, go find out where this guy went. That I may send him, send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Hey, let me say something. The enemy knows exactly where you live. He knows where you live. He knows your weaknesses. Mine. He knows your besetting sin. We talked a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night in the book of Joshua. He knows what carrot to dangle in front of you and me. He does. But I want you to see something here about the futility of the enemy's opposition. See, their plans will not come to, because God will overreign. They're futile in their plans, although they think their plans are going to work against the people of God. Sad to say, some Christians fall for it. But generally speaking, the enemy's motivation here we see is wrong. In verse 13, he says, go and see where he is. Where's this Elijah? Why? He was angry. He wanted to get his hands on him. It reminds me of how Herod wanted to get the Magi, right? To go, go find out where Jesus was. They said, we, we've seen his star. And he says that I may come and worship him. Liar. And, and, and see, so... The enemy's motivation is always wrong. Watch out for voices that are contrary to what you know is true. Watch out for preachers and television stuff and internet stuff and books written. Watch out for voices that don't agree with the book. 
maybe the things you've been taught for a long time. Amen. The, the enemy's mo motivation, listen, is always wrong. The king and his cohorts, they're upset with the man of God. Why? He's just too holy to suit them. Elisha was too honest. They knew they couldn't corrupt him. They tried. Uh, he was too straight shooting. They didn't like his preaching on their sin and their shortcomings. He was just too spiritual. They, they wanted him to compromise. Every preacher, if he's worth his salt, has been approached by somebody to compromise. They get in their mind and say, well, if I keep doing this, we're probably not going to have very, our church will die. People won't want this. And we're just going to go to the progressive because, you know, go to the progressive and all that stuff that goes with it. And our church is going to blossom. We're going to have lots of money. I'm going to be a rock star. You say they don't think that way? I don't know about that. There's temptation from the devil saying, preacher, just back off. I've said this years ago here. If I just changed from the King James Bible, the NIV, and all the other trash, oh, we'd get a bigger crowd. If we dropped our music standards, Brother Tom, we'd get more people. Because they don't want traditional godly music. They want rock and roll. Contemporary. We want quiet in here. And if I ever dropped the standards of this church that I try to hold higher the holier, oh, yeah, we could get more people. But what do you get? What do we lose? And so many preachers have dropped all that to, with the idea we're going to get more people or we're going to keep people. I tell you what, the man of God needs to stand where he's always stood. And those that come, come, and those that don't, don't, don't stay, don't stay. Amen. But somebody's got to stand in this day and warn God's people. And we're, we're having so much trouble today. And here's what the devil, he'll cause trouble because he doesn't want his tactics exposed. He doesn't want the spotlight on him. Amen. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 13, the Bible says this, And he was there in the wilderness, he is Jesus, in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Hey, if the Satan will take on the Son of God, will he not take on us? Sure he will. And he'll attack, and he'll attack, and he'll attack. But listen, it is futile for the enemy to oppose Elisha because Elisha was a real man of God, and Elisha knew his God. I have a question for you this morning. Does the enemy know that you're a Christian? I mean a Christian. I've talked to some people, and I'll say, are you a Christian? They go, well, and they're right. They go, no, I'm not. I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm really not living a Christian life. I appreciate that. Are you a Christian? Are you living Christ-like? Do people watch your walk with God that it's close? That you're dedicated wholly unto the Lord. Amen. That you have made a decision to stand for God. And listen, not everybody's going to like it, but every once in a while, somebody that's even lost will say, you know what? I can't do what you do. I don't want what you got. I don't want church, but I'll tell you what. I appreciate you. Even the lost people appreciate a Christian that, as a Christian. Amen. The futility of the enemy's opposition. Second of all, in verse 16, we see the reality of a divine revelation. In verse 16, we read these words, And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. So what's going on here? Elijah knew that he was surrounded and supported by the host of God. 
Folks, when we get in trouble sometimes, we have to remember something. God is aware. And there are principalities and powers. There is spiritual warfare going on. And there is a host of God's angels present. I want you to understand today, whatever you're going through, that God is the abiding presence in all of our life. He will never leave us or forsake us. Now, will there be times we feel like he has? Absolutely. But the truth is, he never does. And the thing about Elijah, the man of God, is he stood in times of trial and test and extreme attack, and God appreciated that about him. And he made Elisha really a man of God, truly a man of God, in the eyes of the people because they needed to look to somebody that was just like them that managed to live and serve God. There's others like this. We can't preach them this morning. Lord, not Job. You know what, God? God gave Job great vision from God under a great trial and much pressure in his life. What about Daniel? God proved through Daniel that God is vindicated, and God will vindicate the Christian who's in the lion's den. Amen. What about Paul? He wrote of these great truths when, uh, while chained in a Roman prison cell for preaching the gospel. You know what he did in that prison cell? He wrote 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. He wrote the word of God while he was suffering for the cause of Christ. What about John? Remember John? He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He was, they, they, they say he was boiled in oil, but he didn't die. God preserved him, so he'd write the book of Revelation. And John saw the vision of an enthroned Christ He saw the future days for mankind. He saw the church. He saw the state of God's chosen people, Israel, because he went through trials. He knew what God would be with them. And we could go on. Jonah, Daniel, Jeremiah, on and on. These men were tested, and they came through. They were men of God. So in in, 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 uh, a reality... In 2 Kings 6, 16, and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Long before this younger assistant really knew what was happening, God gave Elisha a vision of what was really happening. They saw the enemy's army in array, but Elisha saw a heavenly army, the mighty angels surrounding him and them. And God says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see what's really going on. You know, maybe some of you are going through some things that you're wondering, what's going on? Why is God allowing this? Why is this happening to me? I go to church. I serve God. I sing in the choir. I even tithe. I give to missions. I do, I do, I do, and I do all this. Why is the bottom falling out? God, open open their eyes. Let them see what's really happening. Where's my God? He's where he's always been, on his throne. I don't feel like he's close. He is close. He won't forsake you. But you have a real enemy after you, and it won't feel good. But listen, know this. Even though they're unseen, there are mighty angels with swords drawn, standing in readiness. That's what we see in this text. I think about the, we just had the Christmas play. 
And I think about Jonathan. Boy, he did a great job as a as a as an angel, did he not? And he talked about those angels ready, but God never said go to help Jesus on the cross. Know this: that there are angels standing by. God is very present in a time of trouble. We cannot doubt that. Amen. So all of us are going to have tough times and trials and tests, but God is in control. He'll always be in control. We need to understand that we must stand hard against the enemy and face our trial with the help of God. God is our rock. In him will I trust. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. In 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 31, for God, he is perfect. The word of the God is tried. He is a buckler to them that trust in him. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. And the psalmist said in Psalm 7 verse 1, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Listen, faith. Faith in times of difficulty. How's your faith? Do you have a weak faith? Maybe we have a weak faith. Because here's why. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And saying, if you're not reading your Bible, you're not hiding it in your heart, you're not studying your word, you are, you are in the, the crosshairs of the enemy. We're going to be there, but I want to be there with the word. And I want to be there knowing that God's on my side and that God is very present in my time of trouble. And God knows what's going on. Amen. He has the big picture. And so we want to have real uh, revelation from God and real victory. And the foe can be defeated. So an invisible reality. Here we also see his man, Elisha, shared his invisible reality. How's that? He saw what other people didn't see. He said, God, there's a young man over here. He's fretting. He's worried. Open his eyes to see what's really there. I just preached on this for the challenge for the church this year. The theme, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Hey, you got to keep your vision. In spite of what's going on, you got to keep your vision toward the Lord. Amen? And then the authority of divine vindication. In verse 18, we read here in the story that Elisha prayed, and God did exactly what he asked him to do. Isn't that interesting? God shows the people of God and the man of God that God can be vindicated. So while they've got their eyes on all the enemy surrounding them, then there's a vision God gives them of God's army surrounding them. God is always vindicated. What we've got to understand is we can't conquer our enemy. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Whatever you're going through, you can't do it alone. Neither can I. But God can. And we read in this story that the people of God were gloriously delivered. How were they delivered? I don't have time to just read all. I'll just give you this. God struck them down with blindness. The Syrian army. The Syrian army overwhelmed them with number and horses and, 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 uh, and the awesomeness of, of, their, of, their, of their armies. And the younger assistant to the prophet said, oh my goodness, what are we... How do, we, how do we get past this, old prophet? How goes the day? God said, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what I've got here. 
And God struck the Syrian army blind. They didn't stay blind just for that time. He struck them blind. You know, God was affirming to the man of God that, yes, your prayers are heard and answered. And you know what God did? He did exactly what Elisha asked of him. God moved. Because Elisha was in agreement with God, and God saw that Elisha wanted to be in perfect step with his God. And God answered his prayers. But listen, don't get tripped up here. God will answer our prayers in his timing, in his way, for his purposes. Oh, I've been praying, not happened yet. Here's the important word, yet. I don't know when yet will come. But if you've got a lost loved one that's not saved, keep witnessing. You've got a domestic situation, keep begging God. You've got a loved one that won't turn back to God, keep serving God. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Whatever you do, don't baby them and pity them and tell them, yeah, our God, I don't know why. No, have some, have some man of God in you. Have some woman of God in you and tell them, that you need to get right with God. I love you, but you need to get right with God. They need you to do that. Elijah stood when he needed to stand. That younger man of God was looking at him and said, what are we going to do, old prophet? And the old the old prophet said, Lord, open his eyes. And then God intervened, blinded the Syrian army. I have some questions as we're getting ready to close here. Have you ever seen the Lord answer prayer for you? If you have, what a blessing. How about of late? Hmm? Have you ever seen God do something very awesome? God, save my family, save my parents, save my children, save my grandparents, my nieces and nephews, stepchildren, in-laws. They're hard to get saved, but they can get saved, in-laws. Neighbors, co-workers. Have you ever seen God answer prayer to a serious problem? I want to tell you, I've seen all this, and most of you have too. But sometimes after we've already seen God do this, when we get into the next trial or trouble, we begin to doubt because our faith is weak. We got our eyes on all the circumstances and the situation that we're in, and we forget how many times God has been there and showed up. Amen? You ever seen God perform a miracle? I have. Have you ever seen God perform a miracle and allowed you to be involved in it? I'm not doing this, but I have. I've seen God do a miraculous things, enough to make me want to see it again. And here's this man of God standing for God, trying to help the people of God. He said, God, open there. If anything we get out of this sermon today, would you please open your eyes to whom you serve? God, sovereign God, creator God. He's on your side. And it is a privilege to serve him. Lastly, the enemies were greatly defeated. Verse 16. Let's read it. Verse 18. I'm sorry. And we'll, we'll wrap it up. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite the people, I pray thee with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. Now that might not seem much to you. He led them to Samaria. 
Samaria is interesting because Samaria, if you study it out, it was the home of Elisha. It was his birthplace. It was where the prophet was known. It was where the prophet, the city he loved. And you know what? God knew, and Elijah's finding out, that nobody's going to touch him in his hometown. He's a hometown boy. And God put him to the place of protection. And nobody really realized it. You know, when God's on your, when God's for you, nobody can be against you. And all this takes place in Samaria. They were reduced to a helpless state. Lord, open their eyes to see their surroundings. So when the enemy opened up their eyes, guess what they saw? They saw what the prophet saw and the junior prophet saw. And oh boy. That was an oh boy moment for the enemy. Amen? And I can imagine Elisha, they're trying to kill him. They're trying to get rid of him. Remember, he said, go fetch him. Bring him to me. He wanted him. Amen? And they wanted to destroy him. And they themselves turned into a bunch of dead ducks. I mean, it was no problem for God. And I could see those enemies. They're in panic now. They're paralyzed with fear. King's man and the king's army, they saw Israel's army surrounding them. And they had no plan. They had no weapons to go against them. I put down here, it's like a stray cat in a kennel full of bulldogs. That's where they were. Dead fish in a barrel. That's where they were. But at first, they thought they had the day. And the junior prophet thought, oh, we're in trouble. But the old prophet knew, God's here. And God will win the victory. So the enemy was reduced to a, to a state of harmlessness, a place of humiliation. They were reduced to a state of helplessness. They were reduced to a state of hopelessness. He prepared a great feast for them. So they, they go in for the feast. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Hey, I am so grateful for God that he didn't send his vengeance upon me, his wrath, his judgment of hell, because I was deserving of it. When I was lost and undone, God showed me his grace, and he showed me his forgiveness, and he showed me his love, and he showed me his son. And listen, I called out to him, and he saved my soul, and he changed my life. Amen? And since I've been saved, he's taken me out of the pit many times. And he set my feet on a solid rock, established my goings. Amen. Verse 23, and we'll wrap it up. Chapter 6, verse 23. Listen to what it says. It says, and he prepared. No, that's, I'm in chapter 6, verse 23. Is that what I want? 23. And he says, and he prepared a great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian came no more in the land of Israel. No more trouble with them. You know, I don't know that. I think sometimes when we face things and we think, oh, boy, I just wish this. And God gives us the grace to get past it. And maybe that trouble will not trouble you anymore. But it doesn't mean that the enemy is not going to come up with more trouble. It doesn't mean that he's not going to. He's going to come after you again because he will, because that's his nature. 
and he hates God and he hates you and he wants to destroy the things of God. But I tell you, we got to get our eyes on the Lord. God's servant here was vindicated. God's glory was shown. God's enemy was defeated and, ex- and victory was experienced. And God wants that for you and I. Let's bow our heads if we would, every head bowed as we close up.